You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back to Distilling Theology. Justin, how you doing, brother? You know, that intro gets me every time when you bring it in. I love it. I'm doing well, uh, despite my allergies and the incredible humidity i wish i was up in my air-conditioned room right now alas i am not this uh how are you i'm good i'm also feeling the humidity and the heat but you know what mm. uh, it's all right i'm gonna enjoy a nice distilled beverage tonight and uh we're not alone uh yeah blake we have the holy spirit <laughs> <laughs> Was that a cue for me? <laughs> but also, <laughs> Justin, you're right. We're not. We're not alone. We have a uh, a guest with us for the first time in a while. We we have another guest on. Indeed. Welcome back, Les Landfield. No, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, uh, hey guys, I have a new movie I'm <laughs> filming. I don't think that's how he sounds. I'm not good. <laughs> uh, Eric, why don't you introduce yourself, man? Uh, okay. My name is Eric. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a distiller. That's probably why they have me on the show. I've been distilling for about <laughs> nine, about nine years now. I live in Colorado, live in Colorado Springs. And I think we're going to talk some distilling, maybe some theology. Yeah. And you said you're going to, you're going to fly Blake and I out and uh, have us uh, give, give us a tour. No, I mean, I won't fly you out, but if you guys find your way out here some way. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love awesome. to. Blake. I think we have to make plans. I, there are plans <laughs> and plans within plans happening here. Uh, yeah, we're really thrilled to have you on. It's been a little bit of a journey to getting you here just because life has happened yeah. and uh, COVID-19 struck and all of a sudden everybody's schedules kind of imploded. So, Well, now that you know. uh, now that Kenneth Copeland has blown the wind of God <laughs> on COVID-19, we should be good, right? <laughs> oh, <Yes>. boy. <laughs> all the excitement. Uh, so Eric is, is a member of our facebook group distilling theology and has been uh I, i've always appreciated seeing the insight from the other side um having worked as a bartender kind of in the craft bar scene part of my job and this was my boss always putting the pressure on me was i have to know the spirits i have to know a little bit of the story of every bottle on that wall which like when you have 300 bottles on the wall it kind of gets a little little tricky bottles of spirits on yeah <laughs> so i'd like have yeah. to have a little blurb for most of them so i'd you know talk about how this you know this whiskey was distilled in hudson new york and it was a project with the late dave pickerel who worked with makers mark and whistle pig and yada 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 and they're using solera age you know all this stuff yeah. um but at the same time there's also a, a good deal of embellishment that happens in the cocktail bar where yeah. we tell these high tales of, of spirits and stories and uh, cocktails being made. And it's like, oh, this drink, you know, is from the, the fresh mountain brooks of Colorado Springs. Like this was distilled from the water that runs out of the 14ers. And, you know, you get a little bit of that kind of embellishment. And excitement. I, I mean, there's there's definitely some truth to that with the whiskey sure. that I make. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Fun fact, I actually got to meet Dave Pickerell and, and the owner yeah. of the company, the CEO of 
well okay, great. I now for I'm it. the only one who has yeah no he That's he's awesome. you know was good friends with Dave Pickerell and yeah. and uh would talk distilling all the time with him so yeah yeah I was sad the man. seeing him pass yeah 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 I got I actually met him a week before he passed at a whiskey tasting event up here in New York and I got to try the uh the blackened whiskey that he was doing mm. with the guys from Metallica um, mm. that's such a good whiskey it was so, oh my gosh yeah. another fun fact the guy who took his place uh with blackened rob dietrich was actually my old boss at the first distillery i worked at he was one of the guys to train me how to make whiskey Whoa. and so even more crazy uh he used to be a sound guy in a past life and he yeah. did sound for metallica a couple of times when they would come through town oh, yeah so so that's sick yeah that's awesome, awesome. small world it kind of is, yeah. The distilling I find that world is, it's yeah. small, but it's growing with all the uh, the new craft distilleries. There's a lot more people jumping in the industry now, and yeah, yeah. it's like what craft beer did ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. blowing up. Yeah, it's crazy. So, what got you interested in distilling? Like, wh- how did you end up distilling for a living? Um, well, let's see. I've been distilling nine years now. I think I've been drinking whiskey for twelve years. Uh. Back in the day, I used to be a screen printer, did that for a while and was looking for a change of pace. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do, but my wife and I loved whiskey. And for a wedding anniversary, we uh, we went and toured a distillery in Denver where we were living at the time. And we'd been drinking whiskey for a while, you know, trying to become connoisseurs of it. But we'd never been to a distillery, right? And I'd never yeah. seen it made. But going there was just, it was awesome. And seeing people make it, I just thought, man, I... I could do this. I, I want to learn how to do this. This is, uh, this is awesome. So that night, uh, what's funny is we both actually went home and updated our resumes and both tried to apply there at the same time. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the funny thing about that is we, we previously had done something similar when we were dating and we had tried uh, applying at the same Starbucks. She got the job. I didn't. Um, th- there's a whole long story behind that. <laughs> that was fun. So anyway, um, I applied and then proceeded to harass them about every two weeks. I'd go in and, you know, sometimes say hi to them. Sometimes I call them. I got the distiller's phone number. And like every two weeks I call him back. Hey, man, you guys hiring yet? He's like, no, check back later. Like, okay. And then after it was almost a year, it was almost a year of just harassing them. Um, Finally, I called him. I think one day he was just tired of it. He's like, you know what? I think we have an opening for a part time tour guide position. And so I was like, all right, I mean, definitely I'll take it. Uh, so I was a, a tour guide there for a few months and then was screen printing a, uh, during the rest of the week. And eventually a distilling position opened and it was kind of a similar thing where I just harassed them until they brought me on. I had no, I have no background, you know, I've no, I didn't go to school for this. I'm not a chemist, which by the way, uh, my boy, Andrew Owen in your mm-hmm. Facebook group, I just want to say, I, I might beat his record on this video and, you know, uh, preface that i'm not a chemist probably more than he does in that video that he made that that because i i need a you know we're gonna be talking about distilling i just want you to know it's all on the job training i didn't go to school for it i'm not a microbiologist um but you know the they took a chance on me there and taught me how to make it and then a few years later ended up where i'm at now uh knew the owner we've actually the owner of the company i work for now which um should probably let the listeners know so i'm just here being a distiller i'm not representing the company i work for it is a theology podcast probably not exactly on brand or anything like that so um you'll probably get hints throughout the episode of things i say and if you really want to find out you could probably do some digging and find out where i work but uh yeah i've known the owner 
uh, of the distillery I work for now, since he started distilling, we've been distilling the same amount of time, actually started the same year I did in 2011. And, uh, it was just one of those awesome things where he was a cool dude. He always joked about poaching me from the company I worked for. And I was like, you just let me know, man, let me know when you're ready. And, um, (laughs) you know, eventually it got to the point where he was ready to bring me on and, uh, moved down to Colorado Springs and been there for about six years now. And it's been awesome. So, yeah, it's great, man. That's good stuff. Well, on that note, so we are we are tasting a whiskey that Eric was involved in in making. Uh, mm-hmm. But as he said, it's a it's a little bit of a mystery. So we'll see if with the Easter eggs we drop, if you can figure it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But let's, yeah. Do you want do you want to taste that now? Yeah. Let's get okay. on. Let's see what's Start going on in the nose. News. So so this is a rye whiskey uh, that we make and it is one hundred and one point seven proof. There's Ooh. a hint. Um, yep. And, uh, it's, it's 61% malted rye, 39% corn. It's only a two grain rye and, uh, we use malted rye, which is pretty interesting. Most, most distilleries are going to be using unmalted or raw rye. Uh, and we do something interesting. We were the first to ever do it as a distillery and, uh, we're still the, the first ones that we used to be the only, but there's another distillery I believe that is, is trying something similar now. But we use Aspen staves as a finishing wood. We were the first distillery to use Aspen um, to uh, finish our whiskey and to impact the flavor, the taste of our whiskey. So we we actually toast those Aspens on a little Weber grill we have out back behind the distillery. We use Yo. Aspen to toast the Aspen, right? That's and awesome. uh, so we'll do that. And then uh, towards the end of aging, for the last little while, we'll throw some toasted Aspen staves into the barrel. So gives it a unique Colorado hey man, taste like to Aspen. it. So I got some Aspen right. <laughs> That's very Colorado though. That's like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Wild West. I you like guys it. have, you guys have Aspens out in New York. Some. Yeah, nice. um, <laughs> do you guys even know what Aspens are? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've talked to people that didn't know what Aspens even were. That's so fair. That's fair. What's an Aspen? It's an Aspen. You can tell because of the way it is. <laughs> If you're listening and you know where that is, you're my people. That's amazing. So oh, man, it smells great. It's it's very unique for a rye. You know, you've got a bitty, yeah. a big broad spectrum for rye. I actually think you have a little bit more of a um, big spectrum than you do with bourbon. You yeah. can have really spicy ryes. You can actually have ryes that are even more fruity than bourbon. Uh, this one, I'd say, falls more towards the spicy end of the rye spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some interesting notes that aren't common in a lot of uh, American rise. And that has to do with a bunch of things like the Aspen we had and a lot of other variables that we might get into talking about later. But um, yeah. What do you guys? I'm seeing that spice. I almost like this might be just my nose tricking me, but I almost get like mint or menthol or something um, that's like cutting through everything for lack of a better word. Sure. Uh, uh-huh. Maybe it's pining. That would kind of make sense somewhere in that. Am I am I somewhere on the target or am I completely? Yeah. No. I mean, well, first of all, there's no there's no right or wrong answers because we all have subjective, you know, noses and yeah. and taste buds and all that. So uh, it's really what you're getting, what you're picking out. Um, but well, absolutely like a... pininess. Yes, there's yeah. there's definitely a, a pininess and a menthol mintiness to it. Yeah. Well, it does. It does remind me uh, of the smell. Like when I, like Blake, you would know this. Yeah. When we go up to the Adirondack Mountains, mm-hmm. it's got a very uh, mountainy, fresh air kind of smell. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like an interesting mix of like dark caramelization and mm-hmm. yeah, but also like fruity, like red fruits maybe. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on here that just like 
all of it all of it makes me very happy it's taken a lot of self-control to not uh <laughs> indulge in the sample before we could record this episode yeah i get that little like almost like tart apples as well in the mm. aroma just the faintest yeah. little hint of that kind of through the middle yeah the smell kind of reminds comes... me of like an irish whiskey to oh. some degree interesting which is interesting but they have a very similar kind of blend of like toasted uh wood but also like the the dark fruits mm-hmm. it's just an interesting kind of a mix yeah and for me that that um that apple that tart apple blake i think that's yeah. to me i get a little more apricot on mm-hmm. there yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean so for me like how i'd kind of describe some of the tasting notes that are pretty common in our in our rye whiskey um you know i get a lot of uh baked rye bread on the nose with the apricots. Um, it is a spicier whiskey. There's not as much sweet things that are balancing it out. Um, I think apricot and, you know, hint of maple syrup and toffee are kind of the sweeter things on the, the the sweeter end of the spectrum, but you do get a lot of assorted woods. You get Oak, you get a little bit of pine, maybe hints of cedar. And a lot of that is actually the Aspen, um, that's imparting some of that flavor in there. That's some of that aroma. So we might describe it as pine or, or, or cedar or something like that. But, you know, that's that's some fresh toasted Aspen in there. Um, you also get some black pepper and some cinnamon as far as baking spices go. And I think there's a little bit of earthiness um, that, that kind of shows itself as leather and maybe some pipe tobacco. Ooh. So, so not, not like all my what? favorite things. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's I just threw a whole bunch of things out there, but and they, they come in bars over here. <laughs> they come and go, you know, depending on. Uh, we do small batches, so we're going to be sure. doing um, each batch is going to be ever so slightly different. Uh, we also sure. have a single barrel offering, and that's going to be different because barrel variants. And um, yeah, so different people are going to kind of pull different things out. But yeah. that's, well, that's, those are kind uh, of some of the notes that tend to be there mm-hmm. in one degree or another in our our rye whiskey, and I love it. And and another Easter egg, um, our our rye whiskey, this rye whiskey actually won world's best rye in 2018 at the World Whiskey Awards in London, put on by Whiskey Magazine. So there is that. You guys are drinking based world on the class. Based on the bottle, it's won quite a few awards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's taste it and see what we get. Cheers. Man, that is just as interesting as the first time that I that I got into it. Yeah. Because it's, like you said, even on the, the aroma, but on the taste, I get a lot of those different variations of oak and and pine or different types of wood. Um, but it's not unpleasant. Sometimes with craft distilleries, I find they have a very wood forward, like, like the barrel is very much in the mm-hmm. front of the taste, and it's very yeah. harsh and unpleasant, and especially among rye. But this has a nice mellow sweetness that's kind of carried away by the spice, but it's in like it, it, it prevents it from becoming like just tasting like you have wood chips in your mouth. Like it, it's yeah. definitely, <laughs> well, it's not, it's not, tra- it's not traditionally, uh, hot as you might, uh, consider like, you know, something over a hundred proof. Sure. Um, it's, I think it's more brash, uh, than it is like super intense. Um, yeah. But it's, it's yeah, I'd, like, I'd say it's bold and assertive in flavor, yeah, but the yeah. proof being 101.7 proof, it's not, it's not biting in, in the, the proof category. Yes, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's got a lot of, of flavor. 
there's a lot of that rye grain of bread coming through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really good. This is this tastes like uh Clint Eastwood walking into a saloon in a western. Oh yeah? That's, <laughs> that's Bold, awesome. assertive, you know, not overly spicy or bitey per se. Not yeah, at first anyways. That is exactly the type of rye that conservative but yeah. dangerous. <laughs> That is exactly the kind of rye whiskey that uh, the owner was trying to make when he created this yeah. recipe. This was actually the flagship. This is the first really uh, whiskey recipe that he he released. Yeah, that he he was going for a very bold and assertive, spicy, yeah. woody, uh, subtle, you know, leathery kind of maple syrupy sweetness mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And the image in his mind that he wanted to convey is this image of a cowboy walking into a bar, you know, slapping a coin on the bar, and the bartender throwing down a you know. A shot of rye whiskey so it ha- he wants that kind of bold yeah. western feel to it so well great success <laughs> in that, yeah. in that regard <laughs> I also, yeah i mean that's it's yeah oh once you said that the the sweetness there i definitely get that like it's very mouth-watering in the front in particular mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm tasting that little like toffee kind of maple mm-hmm. mellow sweetness more on the second go in the front and then that kind of fresh air piney wood yeah uh kind of minty feel in the back it's a really interesting i always find that fascinating how different spirits even though they may be distilled from the same basic sets of grains and they sit in Mm -hmm. wood for a period of time just how different two whiskeys can be there's hundreds of variables in the process you know i could i could tell someone exactly how i make this to every last detail but they're not gonna be able to make it exactly the same way um i mean even down to the the equipment that you have the altitude you're distilling at and aging at um, what cooperage you're getting your barrels from. I mean, there's, I, I could, I could run through a list if you want of like 10, 20 different variables that are pretty yeah. big. Well, let's start with like so. some of the basics. Cause we've, we've talked a little bit about it and like, I think Justin and I are both marginally educated enthusiasts in this degree. And that like, we've, we understand, like I could tell you, well, in order for it to be bourbon, it has to be uh, made in the United States and 51% corn on the mash and aged two years and charred virgin oak. Like I could tell you those kind of details, but when it comes sure. into the nitty gritty of like, okay, but how does that formula have so much variance? Or you go into rye whiskey, like how does that start to bring so much variance? That's where it gets kind of, kind of murky to me. And uh, so mm-hmm. I guess like what is fundamentally, um, I mean, let's, let's start at the beginning, right? It starts with grain. And then mm-hmm. how does this, how does that grain <clears throat> journey from being, in a field somewhere to sitting in our glass here today. Sure. Uh, before you so, jump in, I just yeah. want to say my, uh, my son, who's almost four wanted to watch with me an episode of how it's made. They were making bourbon. And I was nice. like, and he sat through the whole thing, like really enamored with it. I'm like, yeah, this is the way mine. Yeah, my, <laughs> my kids have been to the distillery uh, a number of times. And, you know, they, they know that when they look in the fermentation tank and they see the bubbles, they know that the yeast are making the bubble or making the bubbles because they're eating the sugar and they're making alcohol. You know, they know that the whiskey starts clear. And then I ask them, well, how does it get its color? And they say it gets, a, it gets its color from the barrel. Like yeah. my kids, like I quiz them on this stuff and I, my oldest is eight. So yeah, they're that's all, awesome. they're this all definitely cleared into my sinuses. It. That's for sure. Oh, that's good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I should also point out that if, if my boy, Andrew Owen, shout out to him again, if he's listening, he can probably stop listening at this point because that that whiskey one oh one video he did for you all, yeah. um, dude, that guy knows his stuff and yeah. he's probably not gonna learn anything new. So Andrew, good job on that video, man. Anybody who hasn't watched that, 
find it because <laughs> yeah, he did great. We affirm. It's really good. Yeah. That's another plug to uh, join the Facebook group, Distilling <laughs> Theology. Just answer a few quick questions. We'd love to have you join in the conversation there. Watch these videos. But also join the Patreon so you can see our guest. That's right. And stare at his glorious mustache. He d- that is that is like <laughs> pretty amazing. I uh, I just have the, 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 the goatee going here nice. and Justin's got the glorious uh, Viking beard over there. So I just shaved. I had, I had a pretty, I had a pretty horrible beard uh, not too long ago, and I just recently shaved it back into a mustache. But I think, Blake, no, I think uh, on the topic of facial hair, you need to shave it into like a Frank Zappa with your long hair. You know, who Frank Zappa is just yes. the mustache and the and the little soul patch, just the soul patch. Yeah, uh, do I don't it. know if I have enough personality for that. I told him, I told him he's got to give it at least. He, he, I told him he, he's trying to grow a beard. I said you need to go at least. Uh, the key number is about 90 days mm-hmm. uh, to find out if your beard will actually grow into a full beard or not. Um, and some guys, like I know at least one guy who he couldn't grow a beard until he was 40. And all, all of a sudden, his whatever happened genetically, all of a sudden now he can grow this magnificent, beautiful white beard. And it's incredible. Um, There's so hope. like I, I told Blake, you, you got to go 90 days. And if it doesn't work out this time around, wait five years. Wait till you're 40. Wait till you're 40, Blake. <laughs> Once you have a kid, your beard will come in like you wouldn't That's, believe. I, I believe it. That's fair. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, yeah, grain. Uh, sure. You're asking how do we get the grain, right? Um, yeah. So the grain we use, for example, uh, our corn is prime. Is, it's all coming from Colorado. And uh, we're getting rye from a couple different places from Colorado. We also get some rye from Germany as well. But um, the farm that we get it from grows their crop specifically for the brewery, distillery, market. It's a smaller farm wow. and they grow it with the intention of primarily selling it to breweries, distilleries and those types of things. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we, we talk with them. They, they, uh, if, if we need malted barley, for example, they, they do the malting. Um, they do all that stuff there. Now and you said pe- you, yep. you just talked about malted barley and in this mm-hmm. spirit, you're talking about, um, that you guys use a malted rye. Can you, yeah. Give us a little primer because I I actually sure. don't know what makes it malted versus just like because you yeah. have it just like regular. Uh, so malting yeah. is basically the act of of tricking the the grain that kernel the seed into thinking it's going to grow into a full plant. They're basically getting it damp, and the seed is going to think, "Hey, I'm going to start growing," and it'll start to sprout. And when it's sprouting, that's when it's at its highest starch content is at that <laughs> point. And you, we want the starches because we can convert those to sugars later on for fermentation. Um, and so it's this process of hydrating the grain for a few days. Once it starts to sprout, they then dry it out. If you, you know, you guys are fans of scotch, um, that's where the peating takes place is in the malting process when they're drying that grain out. They use a kiln fire and they'll throw the peat on the fire as they're they're drying that grain. But they're they're halting that germination process on the the seed and. So that's what malting is. The benefits of it, like I said, are um, increased starch content. For barley in particular, because the husk remains on there, a lot of enzymes get trapped between the kernel and the husk. And those enzymes will help convert the starches into usable sugars uh, for the for the yeast. So malting uh, serves the purpose of giving um, additional enzymes to the grain and increasing starch content, changing the flavor of the grain, usually yeah. adds a, a sweetness to it. Um, so yeah, that's, but it's, cool. it's a little more pricey, you know, cause there's an extra step sure. in the process. So, yeah. uh, we're definitely committed to having malted rye as opposed to just unmalted rye. And what, what was the, 
kind of force behind that decision because i've had i've had plenty of like straight rye whiskeys and i've had those mm-hmm. that are you know 100 percent rye, but they're definitely not of the malted variety uh so what was kind of the the thought of why you guys wanted it over the unmalted uh you know this is a recipe that the owner created and it I've, I've talked to him about it and I, you know, I probably doing a disservice, but ultimately he wanted, he wants to do something different and he also wants yeah. to keep some traditions. You know, he wants to yeah. stay within the realm of rye and bourbon and American whiskeys yeah. yet also do something different and unique and malted rye is just something that's not really used much. And part of it's the, the added cost, sure. but, um, he just wanted to give that a try also because our rye is just a two grain, um, mm-hmm. without malted barley in there, having the malted rye does mm-hmm. give some more enzymes for conversion from starch to sugar during the mashing process. So there's that added benefit. Um, and then he just, you know, liked the taste of the malted rye better. So yeah. it's just kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm the real end result happy was really, yeah. yeah, it's definitely unique and it's successfully unique. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so that's one variable, right? Like where are you getting your sure. grain from? Uh, mm-hmm. What are you doing with your grain? Is it malted, not malted, that kind of thing? How are you mm-hmm. mashing it in, right? What temperatures are you adding the the grains at? Um, you know, we, we cook a little differently. We actually uh, cook in, in the opposite direction as a distillery. So we'll add uh, what are called our small grains, our barley, our rye, those things first. And then we'll cook up as if we're making a beer. And then we'll boil mm-hmm. at the end instead of boiling the corn first uh, and then cooling it and adding the other grains later uh the problem with that is you're actually killing a lot of the enzymes all the enzymes when you're boiling um so a lot of that conversion takes place before the boil and then we're adding uh extra enzymes after which everybody's doing anyway everybody's adding uh enzymes after the fact but we um again this was just the way michael kind of learned he wasn't a distiller by trade um my, my boss <laughs> just throwing his name out there whoops uh <laughs> and uh like you should put throwing a beep <laughs> <laughs> it's fine um and so yeah um he he kind of wanted to do things a little differently and he figured out a way and it does change the flavor based on how you yeah. cook the type sure. of yeast you use where you use a very unique yeast for distilling yeah. uh, how you ferment and how you distill blah 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 i mean we could talk about each stage but i don't know if sure. we have time for all that tonight but well, that's all well, it suits colorado right it's like an adventure in your mouth <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> but it really is it's, it's very unique yeah there's a lot like well, that's something that Justin and I, when, when, when we started this whole jam was actually, I was just hanging out with him. We'd reconnected through a big reformed group and, uh, the show renamed, remain nameless. <laughs> and I, we, we talked about another episode and I joined yeah. <laughs> and I joined him at his house and we tasted, uh, a couple different whiskeys and it was his first time tasting peated scotch in the form of Lagavulin 16. And, yeah. uh, so we live, go, go home. That's right. So we live streamed it into the group and, um, it's amazing to see from that video to where we are today in yeah. our tasting, uh, as we've continued to just flex those mus- muscles. And it is amazing too, what, how much of a difference it makes when someone has tasting notes in front of you, you can actually see what the intention of the distiller was. And you're like, Oh yeah, I can, I can see those notes. Like sometimes it just takes that's i guess suggestion or or clarity to to mm-hmm. be able to see it but then all of a sudden it's like you've expanded your ability to taste yeah uh, because yeah. now you can discern those subtle flavors a little better well it's the power well, of suggestion too yeah sure. yeah be- i i think just on that note specifically um for for me specifically i think a good example of of the way that the growth has taken place is um when i first started drinking whiskey i really had no idea 
uh, what I was getting myself into, first of all. Uh, oh, yeah. But you and me both. I had no clue. <laughs> like I, I couldn't differentiate between a lot of the flavors. Right. As and as you go learning how to how, not only what to drink, but how to drink it. Yeah. Um, to the point where we did that episode, Blake, with the with the mystery whiskey. Um, and I managed to guess what distillery it came from just because I was able to pinpoint some of the notes that I was familiar with um, from the different uh, just all the different whiskeys we've tried, um, yeah. which was pretty cool. Well, and and uh, my first whiskey that I ever had was actually a Lagavulin 16. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, I love it. From Is first there a connection sit- between Lagavulin 16 and becoming Baptists? Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> If so, then we need to get a lot more people hooked on that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, my my first taste, you know, the only thing that my wife and I could get from that whiskey and we loved it was just, oh, it tastes like a campfire. I feel like I have a campfire Mm -hmm. in my mouth right now. That was the extent of it. Like we didn't get all the the detailed notes and it took a lot of, uh, you know, progression. So, but... Yeah, I loved it from first sip, which is weird because a lot of people drink a Lagavulin and be like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Oh, I hate, yeah. I hate scotch. Oh. It's gross. Yeah. 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 Well, that's something I always tell people too, and people kind of laugh at me about this, but I'm like, they're like, oh, you know, peated scotch is disgusting. Mezcal is gross. Tequila makes me sick. Gin is disgusting. And, you know, there are certainly some, <laughs> yeah. you know, physiological things that can happen in there. But generally speaking, I found... It's context. It's also okay. Well, you had maybe maybe you had Lafroy ten without any context, and you just like jumped right into it. Or you had yeah. uh, a super cheap and super aggressive London dry gin, and you just got hit in the face with juniper. Like, of course, you're not going to like it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's so many other craft, you know, to the distillation side. There's so much craft distillation going on that that style isn't the only way to go. There's other flavors to be discovered, and that was one of my favorite things uh, working at the Speakeasy in Albany was. I got to taste so many unique spirits like that opened up the world of Amaro's and gins and mezcal to me. Cause I'd always been kind of on the whiskey side and a little bit into vermouth, but it just totally transformed, uh, my interest. Cause I realized that there was so much diverse, like the amount of diversity that happens within whiskey, you start to get that now in these other areas too. And so now there's this whole, uh, expansion of, of flavors. And I, I always enjoy that. The expansion pack. You got the expansion pack. <laughs> and the, 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 the downloadable content. Well, to that note, though, so so you have the grain and and um, you're heating it and you're cooking it up. But then what is, I mean, obviously we, we're called distilling theology and you are a distiller in a distillery. What Where does that title come from? What's that process actually referring to? I know there's a specific part of the, the whiskey prep process that that kind of comes from. The, the word distilling or yeah, distiller? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the act. Uh, so distilling is essentially just the act of separating two different liquids that have two different boiling points. Right. So after fermentation, you have well, the way we do it. Uh, we have a mash. Other ones, they'll have, have make what's called a wash. Um, but it's a mash. So we do grain in all the grain remains in during fermentation. And during our first still run, we use um, pot, uh, we have two pot stills. So we're not doing column stills. It's, it's, it's an old style of distilling here in America that most of the guys down south uh, abandoned back in the mid, uh, mid-1800s. mid um, mm-hmm. But they're still using those in Scotland. So all the stills are using Scotland or pot stills. But we're, we're putting the, filling the stills the first run with, with fermented mash, so all the alcohols in there, and then we're distilling it. Mm-hmm. So we have the, the, the original mash that was basically a mixture of water and and grain and you create this sugary thick oatmeal type 
uh, well, kind of a thin oatmeal, but uh, substance. And then the, you put the yeast in there, the yeast ferments it, and they create alcohol and, and CO2. Those are the two byproduct products as they're eating the sugar. And then uh, we want to separate the alcohol at that point. So all the alcohol is made during the fermentation process, and then we have to distill that solution to separate the alcohol. And you know, alcohol boils at about 174 degrees, at least ethanol does the good stuff that we want to drink. And the uh, water, at least at the altitude I'm at, boils around 200, 204 degrees, 212 at sea level, I believe. And uh, so we're going to heat those stills up slowly. And as they begin heating up, the alcohol in the solution is going to actually start boiling first and separating itself out of the solution. And it's going to turn into vapor, travel up through the the column or what's called the swan's neck, uh, and then over into the condenser uh, and turn back into a liquid. And then that's where we have a spirit at that point. And then we'll distill it a second time. But just to further refine that that spirit. So yeah, that's, that's all distilling is, yeah. It's still pretty cool, though. I mean, you like this has been going on for quite a while in human history relative to some other some other things yeah i was just going to say yeah. that i was going to say i think i think the act of distilling is not to get too theological here but an act of uh or an evidence of uh the glory of god in the yeah. in the in the minds that he's given his people right yeah we came up with this like that's crazy when you think about it like yeah. who who thought this would be a good idea and and figured out how this works sure um but we did and it's really cool yeah well that's <laughs> no, something that yeah i Go think uh, a lot of times in the you know we talked on our christian liberty episode about the abuses of alcohol that are real concerns and a lot yeah. of times in that what's happening is you're taking this thing that we would say is a gift you know that god's given us this gift like this i think scripture is replete with with verses about um the proper uses of alcohol and um and we've taken it and fixated on that and created it into something that it isn't uh, and made it an escape or something else instead of something to be enjoyed. And for me, honestly, part of the appreciation of this whole process has it, it just makes it that much more of something to enjoy and and to uh, sip and marvel at the fact that this is something that even exists. Like, it's, it, yeah. you know, it's it, in one sense, it's easy to take it for granted because you go to a liquor store and there's thousands of bottles of distilled alcohol on the wall but at the same time like yeah. the fact that it even exists is kind of wild like that's a to figure out all those intricate pieces of the process and this is just like we just talked about the one snippet mm -hmm. of, of distillation um it's pretty well, awesome to me and distillation is more than just making spirits right i mean they they yeah. made perfume you have to make perfume that way you make essential oils that way you make so yeah. many different things well we're using... not gonna sip those on the show <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had I've had a, a tequila that uh, I don't remember what they did with it. These roses in it, and it basically smelled and tasted like you'd think perfume would, but it wasn't wasn't great. But um, yeah, no, like somebody was making perfume and or making oils or whatever they're making, and somebody thought, hey, let's I have this wine. Let's throw this wine in there, make some yeah. brandy or or this whatever is my essential oil. Right um, here. <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's pretty pretty awesome it's a great gift yeah no. is, is that is that a healing essential oil what is that what ailment does that heal for, uh, yeah, for yeah. you uh, <laughs> so this is the this is the hemp seed oil uh, that i typically <laughs> pour in my beard to help it grow hemp seed interesting we are based in colorado you know that is a secret ingredient right now oh, i'm just kidding i'm kidding <laughs> totally kidding that's good yeah 
So after it's, you say it's, so it's double distilled, then, yep. but now as you're, you know, you said you're quizzing your kids, now that's clear, basically, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's a little more than just ethanol, like it still retains some characteristic, it's not totally, all barrel characteristics. Yeah. yeah, so. So, so ethanol actually can't carry over any flavor with it. Right. Um, it, it doesn't latch on any flavor compounds or con- congeners or esters or any of those things. So there actually has to be some water with it. If you had 200 proof uh, spirit or 100% ABV uh, spirit, it would be completely flavorless and odorless. It would burn like crazy, um, but it would be, there's no flavor to any of that. Sure. So all the flavor is actually carried over in the the water uh, that also carries over with the spirit. So when, by the time we're done doing our second distillation run, we're at about 145 proof, um, spirit that we'll then yeah. cut down with water before sure. we put it into the barrel. Um, oh, so the water yeah, you, goes you don't want pure alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah so legally you can't be a bourbon or a rye, uh, if yeah. you go into a barrel above 125 proof. So, we have to cut it down to at least 125 before putting it into the barrel. Huh. Yeah. And then with the barrel aging, I mean, if we've hinted at this a little bit, but what does that kind of, what does that process introduce into this? So you have this clear alcohol and mm-hmm. water mixture that has different flavor compounds, and then you stick it in a barrel for a period of time before uh, you drink it. What does that add to this, this whole process? Well, uh, people, I mean, there's no easy way to, to know this, but people will make guesses that the barrel uh, influences about 60 up to 80 percent of the flavor of the whiskey that has that much of uh, impact on the flavor. Um, I don't know if those numbers are accurate. It seems to be about right because it does go some undergo some drastic changes in the barrel. Um, there's there's four main things that happen with a barrel uh, between the whiskey and the barrel. You have what's called partitioning. That's where the whiskey is extracting, or the spirit at that point is extracting um, different compounds from the wood, and it's also leaving behind some of the less desirable compounds into the wood. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have digestion, where the these uh, compounds are breaking down and into other compounds. You have um, uh, what is the other one? Ox- oxida- oxidation, where you know the oxygen is entering into the barrel, it's creating new compounds. The alcohols are are changing in there, and then you have esterification, where it's extracting esters from the barrel as well as esters from the yeast are finding mm. themselves and kind of bonding and creating new types of esters. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the barrel, um, but it adds color to be yeah. an American whiskey. All of your color has to come from the barrel. It can't have any added coloring. Um, scotch there's there's some exceptions there but so it's gonna add color it's gonna add most of the flavor um that's gonna you know yeah make make the whiskey that we love like i i I don't mind sipping on some new make some unaged whiskey it goes great in some cocktails but it's not the whiskey we all know and love you know that we like sipping on neat yeah it's a lot less complex so have you tasted it before you put it in the barrel have i it's like my job. <laughs> so, so that's a yes. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Uh, all day, every day, pretty much. Yeah. yeah well, not really. Not that much. Well, and then, <laughs> and you were talking about, you make a home it's all night. I do. I just, and you were I talking about, do all day. Uh, Aspen staves. Now, what is a stave and how does that relate to barrel aging? Because I've been aware of like different, um, you know, some some one mainline distillery, for example, we tasted Maker's 46, 
Mm-hmm. And then we tasted a private select, which had different staves in it. Um, yep. But what do the staves do and what are they? And Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. So they, like with makers, they're using oak staves and they're going to toast them for different lengths of time. They're also going to use different types of oak. You have American oak, French oak, Hungarian oak, all, all kinds of different uh, types of oak that are going to imp- uh, give you different flavors. Aspen, same kind of thing. It's just a different kind of wood instead of oak. It's a staves, just a, a little length of a strip of wood, basically. Um, and, you know, we the owner knows a guy uh, who's got some land up on one of the mountains around here. And he's got a bunch of aspen on his property. He cuts the aspen down for us, cuts them into these staves, these raw aspen staves for us, and then we'll, we'll toast them. Uh, and, and toasting um, and or charring, you know, toasting is just getting it to the point where it's not quite burnt charring is when you've passed that burnt mark and uh you so you don't have different a giant, like wood toaster like uh you know we, stick them in and we out. don't know <laughs> <laughs> we uh but the the purpose of toasting or charring the wood um is to create new flavors that weren't there to draw mm-hmm. some of the sweeter flavors closer to the surface uh and yeah, I mean, you're, you you guys know what the, the, the yeah, I never know how to pronounce this because I don't ever say it out loud. The, the Maillard reaction is, is that I'm saying that right? Maillard? Neither May, of us Maillard. know, so we'll just roll with it. Maillard? Yes, yes. That's, <laughs> I always forget how to, if it's the, the L's. I can't say that, but say I can L's. say, well, hummus and broccoli all day long. <laughs> I can't do that. But yeah, I mean, that's. That's basically the reaction that's going on between amino sure. acids and sugar where you, you know, you're searing a steak or you're, you're toasting bread or it's that burnt, almost caramelizing of the sugars that mm. gives you that, that brown look and that, yeah. that taste and aroma and smell that um, has that caramel, caramelized seared note to it. Um, so you're doing that with the wood and that's creating, you know, new flavors that weren't there. It's degrading flavors you don't necessarily want in the barrel. Um, and so we're going to do that with the Aspen and you can do it to varying degrees and varying, you know, toasting varying degrees or charring varying degrees is going to just alter what kind of flavors are available for the whiskey to extract. Um, and so that's why you have different toast levels, for example, with Maker's Mark, um, sure. you know, we're adding the toasted Aspen because it's, it's adding a component to the whiskey that's not there with just the oak. You yeah. know, you have a lot of distilleries, uh, White oaks, pretty much, that's what you use to age everything with. There's been some distilleries, I believe Woodford Reserve was playing around with uh, maple barrels for a while, some things like that. So just trying different different woods to impart new I and interesting flavors. I want a mahogany wood uh, whiskey. That's what I mahogany want. Mahogany wood? Okay. Mahogany. Well, actually, interesting that you bring up uh, Woodford. I think they're one of the local distilleries here near me in New York. Uh, I believe it was Woodford. They got a bunch of their ex-bourbon casks. Um, before the craft thing blew, like these guys were fairly early to the scene and they got on some Mm -hmm. contract where they were able to get them, get these casks. And now obviously like those casks are super valuable, but when they got them, they were just, they couldn't use them again. So they were just pitching them out for pennies and they were using Mm -hmm. them to mature some of their, um, Apple Jacks and things like that, uh, in, in upstate New York. And it was pretty awesome. I was like, that's quite a, that's quite a deal. Y'all, y'all stuck there. Um, and I know a lot of Scotch distilleries use ex-bourbon casks and ex-American yeah. uh, casks um, mm-hmm. in their process, which is pretty interesting. It, it's it's cool to me how interconnected uh, sure. that world is, even though it seems kind of well, esoteric and broad. It's like it's it was cool very to me symbiotic. To they rely on yeah. each other actually a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. It was cool when I saw when I saw them starting to work with breweries as well. Yeah, and breweries uh, using the uh, the beer barrels. 
uh, and the whiskey casks and, and swapping them mm-hmm. and aging things differently. It was neat to see that uh, start happening because uh, I, before I started doing whiskey with Blake, um, I was really big into the, the, the beer, uh, the craft beer world, um, which was, uh, it's, this is, this has definitely been a healthier option. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying less uh, carbs? Oh, it's just so many less. So I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's healthier on the wallet though. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that makes Especially us, if you're uh, drinking scotch. You know, are we now a, a healthcare podcast? Did that? Yeah. <laughs> We'll join the Reform Brotherhood <laughs> yes. in, in being uh, one of the top fifty healthcare podcasts. I, don't know, I think I think drinking a little whiskey every night uh, prolongs your life, doesn't? It? I think some doctor said that at some point. There was one article. Yeah. This woman who was like one hundred and two, who was like, "What's the trick to to living long?" And one of the things she said was like, "I have a you know, I have a dram of whiskey every night." And I yeah. think uh, was it Barbara Bush was drinking like some some American whiskey right before, like pretty much up until the day she passed away. She was like sitting there enjoying it there was a guy who lived to be like he, he he was a veteran i think and he lived to be like 120 or something absurdly old and um people were asking him what's the success like what, what's the key to your long life and he says well every morning i have bacon you know and every <laughs> every night i have a cigar and a whiskey and i'm like my yeah. man. america that's yeah. awesome guy uh, knows how to de-stress for sure yeah for sure yeah that's so his heart kept pumping. You guys were you were talking about scotch and their barrels and stuff. And if, if you sure. don't mind, I, I I love kind of explaining some of the differences Please. between yeah, age, aging means. in Scotland and aging in, in America. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm sure you guys have noticed that scotch tends to be you know, your average scotch. You're going to see that has an age statement on. It's going to be yeah. 10, 12 years. You'll see stuff up, you know, 15, 16, 18, 20, even 30 and beyond. Right. And then American whiskeys, they don't often have age statements, especially these days with the the rush on bourbon. Yeah. But your average bourbon is going to be anywhere between four years and uh, eight to 10 years. Sometimes you'll find 12 and then you'll occasionally get up to 20 something years old. And there's a there's a reason for that. And most people want to think, well, if it's older, it's better. And if anybody listening to this thinks that that's, that's not why it's not you're not just wanting to go based on how old something is, because I've yeah. had some bourbons that are aged way too long. Uh, And this is, this is what happens. So if you think of a barrel, like you think of a tea bag, right? You can make multiple cups of tea with the same tea bag, right? You can do your first tea, you can do a second cup, third cup, and so on. Um, But with each consecutive use of that tea bag, it's going to take longer for you to steep the next cup of tea and to extract Mm -hmm. the flavor from it. And the flavor is going to be a little bit weaker, not, not quite as strong, right? So in America, we have to use, legally, we have to use new barrels, a brand new barrel every time if we're making yeah. a bourbon and a rye. Um, and so in Scotland, they're using a lot of X bourbon barrels and they'll use them seven, eight, nine times. They'll continue to use barrels over and over again. And so the barrels get, you know, we here in America, we're extracting uh, the flavor first. We're like that first cup of tea and it's going to be potent. It's going to be strong. Um, you know, peat all, you know, peat and all that aside. Uh, the flavors with bourbon tend to be a little more bold unless you're talking about a sherry or a peated scotch. Um, and so part of that is just how many times that barrel has been used. And Hmm. you're also, the other thing is if you have a hot cup of water, you're going to extract the flavor from that tea much quicker, uh, than with a cold cup of water, you can still steep tea in a cold cup of water just takes longer. Right. So Hmm. here in America, especially down in Kentucky, they have crazy high temperature summers. They have, you know, cold winters, they have these huge temperature swings in Scotland. They're pretty, pretty consistent all year round. And it's, it's, um, 
pretty cool. A lot of their rick houses are are smaller, uh, sometimes even partially underground. They're called Dunnage houses. Then you also have rick houses in Kentucky that not only is it really hot there, but they're like eight stories tall. They have tin roofs, all this kind of stuff that that it just gets hot in there. So if you put all that together, you basically have a hot cup of water with a brand new tea bag when you're using a, a barrel to age bourbon or rye. And so you get that flavor, you extract that flavor real quick from that barrel, and you actually run the risk of over-oaking it. I've had bourbons that are in the 20-year range, and you run the risk of it getting oaky, where it just tastes like you're chewing on oak chips. But then with with scotch, you know, they're like a cold cup of water with with a tea bag they've used multiple times to age that whiskey with. And and so it's going to take longer for them to extract that flavor, and you, they have to age it 10, 12, 15 years, etc. And so that's kind of where you see that disparity of age between Scotch and American whiskeys comes mainly from how we're aging and what we're using to age our spirits with. So it's not really, oh, you know, Scotch is better because it's older kind of thing. It's it's just, you know, there's limitations in both areas. It's hard to make a good young Scotch. It can be done. I've had amazing three-year-old Scotches. Um, but it's also hard to make a really old bourbon that doesn't taste just like an oak bomb in your mouth. So, yeah, that's like the best analogy. <laughs> I so I've known about the temperature fluctuations, but I didn't, and, and I've been marginally aware of like the oak usages. But I think that just painted a really clear picture. So, thank you. Sorry if I rambled. I just no. sometimes I like to. No, go that off was great. That's, that's that's why great. we wanted to have someone on who actually knows what they're talking about because. Uh, we uh, you know, we know we know some things, but we're at the end of the day, we're both just enthusiasts who appreciate the stuff. And I I like to hear from people that are actually involved day in day out with the process, uh, who mm-hmm. actually are you know have their hands on it because ultimately I'm getting it in in a glass bottle on the shelf and I'm enjoying it or I'm mixing yeah. it in something and you know and I'll get a little romantic story about mountainside uh, aspens and and brooks, but at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't have that same uh, degree of technical knowledge of just working with the thing. And uh, yeah, that's really, I I learned a lot. (laughs) Have you found that working with it on a regular basis has made you enjoy it more when you drink it? Or have you uh, like some people get burnt out, you know, have you gotten like sick of it at any Uh, point? Or (laughs) definitely have not gotten sick of it. Enjoying it more, you know, probably. Yeah. Um, I think, and it doesn't mean you have to work with it to really enjoy it more, but even just learning and, you know, geeking out on it, nerding out on whiskey and, and learning all those things. Um, what makes this whiskey different from this whiskey? And, uh, when you learn more about the process, I think it, it does give you a greater appreciation for, sure. for the whiskey. I mean, making it, it, oh man, there's, there's experiments and stuff that we do, something we'll make, and I can't wait to taste the finished product, but whiskey, you have to have patience when you make it. And so that that aspect right there makes me uh, definitely not take it for granted when I'm drinking something that I've made that I've had to sit on and wait. And I've been really curious what this is going to taste like when it's fully aged. Um, So, no, I think it's it's definitely um, increased my love of whiskey making it. I mean, there's the job like there's days where like like anything else. It's like, oh, it's a job today because I've got other stuff going on in my life and it's a job. But man, most days it's a dream like it. It's, it's so much fun making whiskey. Um, yeah, I, I tell you what, though, I can drink barrel proof whiskey like it's water now. Like it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. It, well, I, I, I mean, when I first a little too, yeah. yeah, when I first started drinking it, like, it, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this is hot. But yeah, now when there's some days at 10 o'clock in the morning or something, I'm having to taste directly from the barrel for for making a batch or something like that. 
you just your palate kind of gets used to it. And now if, if it's something like 80 proof or 90 proof whiskey, it's I, I, it doesn't even taste like alcohol. I can't feel the alcohol anymore. <laughs> My tongue is shot. <laughs> it's funny to that end, though, because I actually when I started like how I got into all this was I had a couple good buddies in college who introduced me when it because I'm I'm a straight at straight. I can't think of the term straight edge. You're, you're straight. You're going like, to say straight, straight edge. edge? Yeah, you straight you don't edge. Do drugs? I'm, I'm straight edge. I'm just like you know very uh, you know quick. So like I turned 21, then I then I went and had drinks with my friends in college, and uh, they introduced me to different types of beers, and then I had an old fashioned, and I was like, well, that's really like that's intense, but that's amazing. And then I mm-hmm. when I got home for that summer, I bought a bottle of Buffalo Trace. I bought a bottle of Angostura bitters and I started making old fashions in my house and slowly but surely I started expanding that. And then from there I transitioned to drinking it neat. And now, yeah, it's like at the time, I think anything above like 90 proof probably would have burned straight. But now I have bottles that are 120 something proof from uh, Booker's and and, uh, the Jack Daniels single barrel. Oh, yeah, that's uh, good stuff. Barrel proof. Which like that was... I didn't believe it. Like I saw people posting about it. I'm like, no, but it's Jack Daniels. And I got all snooty oh, about man. it. And we need I, to dispel that myth. Man. I know. Jack and Daniels then I tasted it and stuff. I was like, this is one of the, that, that, that single barrel barrel proof is one of the best bourbon, like American whiskeys I've ever had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's really good. It's so intense. A, yeah. They got a bad rap from, you know, like people's dads drinking it and kids drinking it in college <laughs> and puking on it and stuff like that. Like, but it's, yeah. They make good stuff. Granted, yeah. the price has gone up in recent years, and sure, it's you know I don't buy it that often. But man, yeah. if if you're in the mood for banana walnut bread, yeah, you can't go wrong with Jack Daniels. That's that's that main yeah. note that I get from Jack yeah. Daniels. And that's something so. I, I again, it's like whiskey's such a diverse and interesting spirit in yeah, just how far you can run with a couple basic grain. Like it's the same basic ingredients, and yet you can have such diversity or i mean if you take single malt whiskey in scotland um the difference between like octomore uh and balveni 17 is a pretty wide gap oh yeah flavor uh because of barrels because of the different processes because of peating and you had me a balveni blake (laughs) but i think it's kind of amazing uh just how diverse it is and this has been awesome. Like I've, I've learned a lot tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's enriched things that I've already sort of had a marginal understanding of, um, but haven't really sunk into the details. So, man, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on, spending some time with us, sipping this mystery rye whiskey, uh, with some, <laughs> some hints for our listeners to try and figure out what it was. And yeah. I appreciate you being a Baptist because <laughs> usually I'm outnumbered here. So, well, you know, sometimes Wait, we, can, we can tag, we can tag team Blake, you know, <laughs> well, Blake, the last to. guy we had on was less and he's full blown Bresby. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, Nick doesn't say, but I, I think I know where he lands. So hey, it's, it's fun, honest, fun story about less. I, I don't know if he'll mind me sharing this or not. It's not like we're more BFFs or anything. I've, I, I got to meet him one time and I actually gave him a bottle of whiskey and got to drink some whiskey with him. This was, yeah. Many years ago, this was shortly after he became a, a Presbyterian. I was listening to the Pubcast a lot back in those days. And uh, so I knew I was going to see him at this event. I brought a bottle for him. I also brought him Baptist Covenant Theology books to give. To, I'd never met this guy before. And I walk up like, here, I wanted to give these to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he still remembers that or not. But man, that was one of those times where I walked away. I was like, wow. 
I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's like, no, that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's what <laughs> podcasting is, is exists for that kind of uh, brotherly, brotherly taunting and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and affection at the same time. It's good stuff. Great. Yeah, well, this has been awesome. Uh, we're hoping to do another episode where we can get a little bit more into the nitty gritty theologically, but we really wanted to uh, take, take a deep dive into distillation. And it was awesome to have someone on who actually knows what they're talking about. So, Eric, thank you uh, so much for yeah. coming on and spending some time with us tonight. It's been fun. Yeah, Thank man. you guys. Thanks for having me. It's great yeah. stuff. And uh, basically the only thing is, uh, guys, that episode will be up on Patreon before you're going to see it uh, or hear it somewhere else. So check out our Patreon uh, for less than the price of a cup of coffee every month. Uh, expensive cup of coffee. $3.99 a month. You can uh, get early <laughs> early release episodes and uh, exclusive bonus content. And I know for a fact that if there is a part two uh, it's already up on Patreon by the time this is posted. So uh, it's going to be exciting. Justin, you have any any final words? How can people get in touch with us? How can they learn more about this exciting world? Well, uh, if you open your computer and or mobile device. And open you, that flip phone. <laughs> open up Just your open. Nokia flip phone. <laughs> and you search for Distilling Theology, you will find us on our own website, distillingtheology.com. This is true. Uh, from which... You can reach us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, which is lit. And uh, also, you can sign up for Patreon there. Uh, we do have a sign up for a mailing list. Um, eventually, we use that for something. But uh, <laughs> undecided. Maybe maybe we'll do some giveaways there sometime. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, join us there. And um, I was just going to throw are, out there. Yeah. We yeah. might have an Easter egg for the whiskey we tasted tonight on our Patreon or on our Instagram somewhere. Somewhere in the feed at some point we might have posted. Search Instagram. Search your feelings. It's possible. Uh, and if you if you are on Patreon and you see our moustached friend, you may also have some hints uh, as to what we were sipping tonight. Um so yeah. And if you guess what it is, tell us. And uh you can have the pride of knowing that you are smarter than the people that didn't uh, didn't get there. <laughs> So, Justin, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria, my friends. Amen. Thank you guys again for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. And Eric will be back again next week for part two. And while this part was much more focused on distillation and chemistry, next week is going to be much more focused on theology. And that episode is already up on our Patreon, so you won't want to miss that. But we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.